All right, good morning again. If you didn't notice, there's more kids in the room than normal. If you're a kid, raise your hand. Yeah, I thought some of you were going to do that. Ralph. <laughs> um, we do this every time there's a fifth Sunday. We have a family service. And I really like it because it means I get to speak at all y'all's level um, without being, you know, a roundabout about it. Um, but no, it's important because kids, you are part of the church now, um, and your worship is valuable now. And so we're glad you're here, and we're going to do things a little bit different as we start. So we are going to play a game. So if you are under the age of, let's say, 12, I want you to stand up. Under the age of 12, stand up. Okay, thank you. Thank you. If you're really short and you're next to your parent, you can step on the chair in church. If you're really short, so I can see you, so I can see you. Oh, yes, okay. Yes, thank you. All right, we're going to play a game. Oh, I see you back there. Called Simon Says. Do you know the game? Rory, I can't see you. Okay, so we're going to play Simon Says. Now, Simon Says, remember, if Simon says to do something, you do it. If Simon doesn't say to do something, you're not supposed to do it. So here's a test. Simon Says, touch your nose. All right. Simon Says, grab your ears. All right. Spin in a circle. All right, you're not supposed to do it if Simon doesn't say. All right, so now we know the game. We're, we're going to play the game, all right? Simon says, put your right hand in the air. Put your left hand in the air. If you put the left one in, up, you got to sit down. You're, sorry. Sit down if you put the left one. All right. Simon says, hug somebody next to you. Ha, ha, ha. See how we did that? That's great. <laughs> did we hug Simon? All right. All right, Simon says, hop on one foot. Stop. Did anybody stop? Simon didn't say stop. Okay, we're so good. All right, Simon says, stop. Uh, Simon says, dance a little bit. Yeah, jump. Not bad. Simon says, stop. Okay, dance a little more. Wow, you guys are good at this. Okay, Simon says, close your eyes. All right. Now hold up three fingers. Wow, you guys are really good. If you're still in, raise your hand. We got three. Three still in? Four? Oh, you guys are good. So, all right, sit down. Go ahead, sit down. Simon says sit down. All right. <laughs> good job. You're, you're, all, you're all winners. You're all winners. Good job. So... Here's my question with that. Do you ever feel like, like life is a little bit like Simon says? Life in this world where our culture is constantly telling you, do this. No, no, wait, now do this, right? And, and things are changing. Morality changes and adjusts. You should think this way. Oh, don't think that way anymore. Now think this way. If you want to be in, you want to be accepted and, and all those things. Um, it's kind of like, like fashion, right? Fanny packs are in. Now they're out. Now they're in again. Bell bottoms, they're back in. Mullets, they're out. Now they're back in. Like what? I mean, but right, there's this constantly adjusting, how do I change to, to fit in and to be part of the culture? Well, here's, here's the truth. If you're a follower of Jesus, there's probably a big piece of you that goes, I'm not part of this game, right? This, all this, do this, now do that. I'm like, ooh, I'm not... That's not me. That's not who I am. That, that makes me uncomfortable. And here's why. Kids, listen to this. We are aliens. 
I'm going to read you a verse. It's going to be on the screen from 1 Peter 2.11. It says this, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war, wage war against your soul. We are called aliens, not like from another planet, but, but kind of. So an alien or a stranger is somebody who goes from one country to another, one nation to another, where things are a little bit different. That same verse, sometimes they're called exiles. So if you have given your life to Jesus, you believe Jesus is the son of God, he died on the cross for your sins, he rose from the dead, and you say, I, I want him to be Lord of my life, you right then become an exile. You become a citizen of heaven, and that's a truth forever, a citizen of heaven, a child of God, but yet you're still here on earth. And so we become strangers, exiles on this earth, just kind of passing through until we go home. And so here's the question I have. Well, actually, here's the first point that you need to have. Uh, if you're a note taker and kids, you might like this too. In your bulletin, there's notes and there's blanks that you can fill in to help you follow along with us going through God's word. But the first point is that every Jesus follower is an exile on earth and a citizen of heaven. And the question we're going to ask is, how do we live faithfully as an exile? Because there is a pull. If you've experienced, if you've been in this life very long, there's a pull between, oh, I want to glorify God and do it his way. Ooh, but the world says this, and I'm actually kind of attracted to some of that. I kind of want to do some of that. How do we live faithfully? Right? Some people say, I'm going to live faithfully by cutting myself off from the world completely. Right? I'm going to go live in a monastery somewhere or, or, or whatever. Some say, well, I'm just going to give in to the world and God will forgive me. How do we live faithfully as exiles? And we are going to be looking at a guy named Daniel. So grab your Bibles. Uh, if you don't have one, there's one in the seat in front of you. We're going to look at Daniel, which is in the Old Testament. And if you're using one of the Bibles in front of you, it's page 821. It's about there in your Bible. Um, if you brought your own and you don't know where Daniel is, that's okay. Look at your index at the beginning, your table of contents, find Daniel, and you can turn there. But Daniel chapter 1. And just to give us an idea so we understand what we're reading, this is written 600 years before Jesus. So Jesus came 2,000 years ago in real history, really happened. 600 years before that is when this happened. Well, to understand that, 1,000 years before that, there was a guy named Moses. If you remember Moses, uh, Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt. God gave him some rules that called the law, the Mosaic law. And in that, there was a, if you do these things, you will be blessed. If you do these things, you will be cursed. You will be judged. You will not be blessed. Um, and the, the God's people, the Israelites, were God's people like us now. They were supposed to represent God to the rest of the world. Now, the covenant is different. They didn't have Jesus yet. But this, this uh, part of the covenant, if you do what I tell you, right, you will be blessed. One of the big ones was idolatry. He said, I am the only God. Serve me only. And if you don't, you're going to be removed from the land I've given you into exile. So that was the promise that was given. Well, the, the people of Israel, not every single one, but the nation as a whole, they strayed away from God. They were worshiping gods that weren't real gods, fake gods, those things. And so God judged them by sending another nation right, called Babylon, to conquer them. And they conquered them, and they took them out of the, the promised land, Jerusalem, that area, Judea. They took them to another place called Babylon. It would be kind of like Canada attacking us, 
down here in Nevada. That's kind of the distance, right? They came down and they capture us and they take some of us there. And I'm talking like French speaking Quebec. Um, but there's no cars, so it's on donkeys and stuff. So it's a long way and a different culture. That's what happened. They took them there. So with that in mind, let's read Daniel 1, verses 1 through 8. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Asphanaz, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, understanding learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace." and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. So let's stop there real quick. Now, what, what we're reading here, the genre is narrative. Daniel wrote this, and it's written as a historical narrative. Here's the things that happened. It's not written to tell us what to do. Like some of the New Testament and other places, it tells you, hey, you need to do and believe this. So what we will learn here is, is not by explicitly telling us what, but by implicitly we're seeing how somebody lives in exile. And it's in, in the Bible. It's there for us, although not written to us, for us to learn how can we also live in exile. And we have some very obvious parallels, us now and Daniel and his friends there uh, in Babylon in that time. And so we're looking at this, and, and here's kind of the, it kind of just states it, but, but here's the picture, right? They had their home in Jerusalem, Judea. The Babylonians came and besieged, attacked. We get more details in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles in the Old Testament. This was not like a peaceful thing, right? They didn't come to like, hey, you all should come over to Babylon, you know. Come. No, they went and they killed many and it says in, in those other books, they did not spare old men. They did not spare young women, meaning they just killed a bunch. They burned the temple to the, they burnt, they destroyed, and then they took them. This was not like a peaceful thing. And so you have these young men here who are, uh, most were taken into exile, and they chose a few of the, the best, right? The smart ones, the good-looking ones, the one from good families. There's a reason for that, who would have influence on others, they took them into the king's temple, right? And they were going to eat all the good food and be trained. That's the, the picture that we're looking at. And so to put yourself in their shoes, right, their families are probably dead, right? And these, these young men brought in are between the age of 13 and 20, somewhere in there. And so kids, I have a question for you. How old do you need to be before God wants to save you and, and use you for his glory? Is there an age 
right? Like you come to church, but you, you go to kids, right? You, you're not really important until you're 15, 16. Here's the truth. You are valuable to God right now. Look at me, kids. At school, when you go to school, you may have influence for God in a friend that nobody else has influence for. You are very, very valuable. Daniel here is young, right? 14, 13, 15, we don't know exactly. But also throughout scripture, we see other young people used by God, right? Uh, do you remember a, a, a guy who killed a giant? Right, his name is David. He was a kid, right? He was a kid, he's like... You guys don't all trust God. I trust God. I'm going to go attack this giant. And of course, God delivered him. Joseph, we're going to hear about Joseph in the next few weeks. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was probably a teenager. So my point in that is, kids, you are valuable and you matter to God and you matter to the church. So what is happening that we see here in Daniel chapter 1? Sum it all up. Again, it's narrative and you can zip through. Here's what's happening. They are taking these, these young Jewish boys and indoctrinating them. The whole point is to transform them into their culture. That's what's happening. They're trying to remove their Jewishness. They're trying to remove their old identity and give them a new identity. You are no longer that. You are now this. And so they were bringing them in and they were going to teach them all the things about Babylon, a different language. It was a similar language, but a different language, a different culture. They wanted to conform them. And why would they choose these ones? Because these, once they conformed, they went, oh, this food is great. This life is good because they would be in, in luxury. Well, now they get to go to the rest of the Jews and say, hey, it's actually good. If you're still hanging on to that old Jewish stuff, give that up and join the Babylonians. This is way better. That's what they're going for here. That's what they're working on. And here's, here's the relevant truth to us. The faith, morality, and lifestyle of God's people is at odds with popular culture. In general, that's the way it's always been, right? That what we believe, what, what God's people believe is morally true, is true in history, all these things is at odds with popular culture. Popular culture does not want us to believe what we believe or to live the way we live. Biblical Jesus followers are called what? Bigots, homophobic, judgmental, we're, we're told that we're wrong, our God is wrong, that we need to change. What happened here in Daniel is the Jewish people lost, right? I, I, this war, the Babylonians came, the Babylonians won. In that day and age, when there was those wars, it was often a battle of, of gods in their minds. So the Babylonians are telling the Jewish people, your God lost, our God won. How do we know that? They took the things out of God's temple, they took it to the temple of their God and put it there under the feet of their idol, as if we won. And so now they're telling the Jewish people also, our God won, your God lost, you need to come onto our side. Does that sound familiar at all? <laughs> right? About 130 years ago, there was a, a, a guy named Nietzsche, and he's famous for saying God is dead. And he didn't mean literally God is dead, but that in the minds of, of people, the idea of God is dying, and, and he's misquoted with that. He was somewhat lamenting that, of what's going to happen to society when there is no God. But that's even worse now, right? God is dead. Watch any nature show, and what are they going to tell you? Evolution. It's just assumed. You go to school, evolution is taught as, as fact, not as, as theory. Anywhere in the world here, right, you're going to be told, get over your biblical faith. The Bible's been proven false. 
right? Uh, science proves that this isn't real. Uh, what this says about morality, oh, that is so out of date. You need to get over it, you caveman. That's what culture is going to try and tell us, right? Um, but here's, here's the truth is kind of, we just went through uh, the Apostles' Creed. 2,000 years, same truth is kind of what we were saying. God hasn't changed. So let's look back here. Um, here's the key. If you want like one little nugget to understand the rest of it, the Chaldeans, the Babylonians are trying to change their identity. Look at their names. They have their names that they were given at, at birth. Their captors are changing their names. So Daniel means God is my judge. Hananiah means Yahweh is gracious. And Yahweh is God's personal name. That's the one true God. Mishael means who is what God is. And then Azariah means Yahweh is my helper. They changed their names. They're trying to change their identity uh, to Belteshazzar, means wife of God Bel, protect the king. Shadrach, command of Aku, who is a moon god. Uh, Meshach, who is like Aku. Abednego, servant of Nebo. They give them different names for one of their fake false gods. Again, we're looking at identity. And so how can we remain faithful as exiles? Well, point one, we're going to have four points, right? Four ideas that we pull from this of how we remain faithful. And the first one is we look at Daniel and his friends. They know something, right? So they're brought there and they are trying to, to be conformed and changed and given new identities, right? You guys lost, we won. They know some things, again, that we would know if, if we know some of the rest of scripture. There was a prophet called Jeremiah. God sent Jeremiah to the Jewish people who said, hey, y'all are messing up, right? You're following false gods. You're worshiping idols. If you keep this up and you don't repent, you're going to be taken into exile, right? He come, he's warning again. If you keep it, they kept it up. So finally, Jeremiah came and he told them, I'm sorry, it's done from God. You're going into exile. The Babylonians are coming. They're going to besiege. You should just give up and, and submit to it. And, and of course, they wanted to kill Jeremiah. Like, no, we're not going to give up. We're going to kill you. But he was from God. So they were taken into exile. Jeremiah then actually wrote a letter to those in exile and told them, from God, here's the instruction. One, it's only going to be 70 years, right? There was a time limit for it. The exile, it wasn't permanent. You're going to be there 70 years. And then he said, and, and submit to this, right? And while you're there, pray for the city you're in, right? Work for the betterment of the city you're in. Pray for peace. Pray that they will flourish. He knew, that Daniel knew these prophecies. So he knew this is God's will for me to be here. I'm going to submit to this. Daniel also here, he knew the first five books of the Bible, because in those first five books, we see the instructions given to the Jewish people on how to eat, right, and what to do. And he said, I'm going to remain faithful. And so here's number one. We remain faithful in exile by being people of God's word. That's probably the most important. We know God's word and we live by God's word. Daniel knew God's word. And he said, you're telling me this. I know the truth. I know God's word and I'm going to go his way. That's number one. You know, elsewhere in scripture, it talks about God's word being food, being a, a meal. So my question to you is, how often do you eat? Right? If going to God's word is a meal, do you eat once a week on Sundays? That's not a good diet plan. 
right? You want to feed yourself day in and day out on God's word. And just kind of to, to help you, we have, the, this is probably, in my opinion, the best study Bible out there. So if you read the Bible, you're like, I struggle, buy one of these, Amazon, or we've got some out there. These are great. Kids, guess what? You should be reading the Bible too. I remember as a young kid going to camp and falling in love with God's word. And of course I wrestled with it all growing up. I'd read it for a while and then I wouldn't. But God's word is valuable. And for some of you really younger ones, this is awesome, right? The Action Bible. Uh, my kids love this, at least Elise did when she was younger. I encourage you, right, read this. Parents, read to your kids. But we need to be people of God's word. Romans 12.2 says this. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This speaks directly to what was happening to Daniel and what the world is trying to do to us today. They're trying to conform us. And he says, do not be conformed, be transformed. How? By the renewal of our mind, which happens primarily through Scripture. Meaning we go to God's Word humbly, willing to say yes to what he says, not holding on to our own you know, desires or what the world says. We want it to be this way. Now, sometimes we'll read God's Word and go, I wish it didn't say that, right? I'm going to highlight that one with a Sharpie. No, right? We go to God's word willing to let it change us because the world is trying to conform us. So this is uh, another note. The culture will actively try to conform you, counter it by being in God's word and letting it transform you. All right, so that's number one. The second that we see here is close to the first. In fact, we can't really have the second unless we have time in God's word to understand what it says. But here's number two. We remain faithful in exile by trusting in God's sovereignty. The word sovereignty means complete control. It means king, right? That God is in control of all things. Daniel, right, and his friends, they're brought to a different country completely. Their whole family is probably dead. They could have been freaking out. Right? I, I mean, in the modern parlance of, of today, right, th they're going to be depressed and anxious, and they probably need some meds for that. What, you know, I mean, they could have been freaking out about this. And I'm not saying meds are always bad. There's a time for that. That's not what I'm saying. But they, they didn't get all stuck in this. Instead, they had a vision of God is sovereign. In fact, the theme of the book of Daniel is God is sovereign. Because God said, hey, this is going to happen, and I'm in control of it. It's okay. I'm actually going to judge Babylon for it later. Um, and I'm going to take you back. And so through that, they could get through it by trusting that God was in control. God is sovereign. In Daniel chapter 2, just one over, verse 21, Daniel writes this. It says, he, speaking of God, changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. God is in complete control. Listen, have you been hurt? Do you have trauma that, that you're kind of holding on to? Something was done to you that you had no power over it? Maybe that cancer diagnosis that is recent and you're wrestling with, does God know what's happening? Right? A relationship. I mean, we can go down the list. Have you been wounded? The answer is to look at God's sovereignty. What, what is faith? Faith is understanding that God is good, meaning he knows, he wants what's best, right? God is good and loving. He wants what's best. God is also all-wise, all-knowing. He knows what's best. God is also all-powerful, so he can do what's best. If God loves you and knows what's best, he has the power to do what's best, 
then we can trust him. Meaning he knows the situation you're in and he looks at that and says, I'm still in control. And if it's best that I change it, I'll change it. But if not, trust me. And you see that with Daniel and these other three, right? God, you can change this. But if you don't, we trust you. We trust in his sovereignty. This is in your notes there. God is never out of control, no matter what it looks like. He is never out of control. Now, as we move on, I want you to think about Daniel and these these young men, right? Teenagers, somewhere in there. They were taken from what they knew, brought to a new place, given a bunch of good clothes, right? A bunch of great food, all this. Their whole circle of, of life was gone, right? Their parents are, they're probably dead. They don't have a youth pastor anymore. They don't have Sunday school teachers anymore. They don't have a church family like this. They're removed, meaning what? They could do whatever they want, right? There's a certain aspect of us where where we are good, right? We obey because those around us want us to, Or, or people will find out. Nobody would find, they could go do whatever, and they were trying to conform them to a new culture of, of sexual immorality, um, of, of feasting and food. They could have done that and gotten away with it. And let's be honest, don't we sometimes try and get away with things? All, confession, kids, plug your ears, because I'm going to confess something from when I was a kid. My parents had rules against watching TV. Uh, we could watch it cartoons on Saturday morning, and I could watch Knight Rider on Monday night. That was awesome. Um, but when they were gone, we couldn't watch TV. And so me and my sister sometimes... When they went away to Bible study or whatever, we'd sneak in and turn on the TV. And back then, it was a two, it was this deep, right? And we were watching that, and then we'd see headlights, like, shine up the wall. Run, turn it off quick, and, like, go grab a book. <laughs> We've just been reading, Mom and Dad, right? And they come in, and, and these were different kinds of TVs. It's still crackling and a little bit warm, <laughs> right? But, but we were trying to get away, right? They're not seeing, so we can get away with something. Kids, you, adults, you ever have that temptation? Right? Nobody's going to know. Uh, I can go online. Nobody's going to see what I'm looking at. Or, or kids, you go to school. I'm going to try this whole cussing thing. My parents won't find out. Nobody else. We, we try and get away with things. And so the point, as we look at here with them, is number three, we remain faithful in exile by refusing the temptation to live a double life. Refusing the temptation to live a double life. Right? They were offered all this great food that a lot of it went against the dietary restrictions that, that Moses had laid down, but not all of it. Right? Uh, the, the Jewish law said nothing against drinking wine. There weren't Baptists yet. Nothing against <laughs> drinking wine. But Daniel says, I'm not going to drink the wine. Well, he wanted to be above reproach. He, he was going to avoid, they were going to avoid the seductions that could step by step lead them further away from God. We remain faithful by refusing the temptation to live a double life. Uh, I love verse 8. Look at verse 8 again. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food. And he resolved in his heart, this young man, this teenager, resolved in his heart there was a line he wouldn't cross. What a great example. (laughs) Right? He, He knew God's word. Knew who God was, said, in my, I will, there's a line I will not cross. That's, that's it. Even if nobody else finds out, that is huge for us. Again, we are tempted to live this double life. We want Jesus, but we also want what the world has to offer if nobody finds out. Let me tell you a, a difficult truth. 
a double life is not actually possible. It's really not. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, Paul writes this. He says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. That's a difficult few verses because if you're honest and you look at that, you're like, I'm, I'm guilty of some of that. And that's the truth. We are guilty of some of that. Here's the difference. Paul is talking about identity. People who, like, this is part of my life. They identify with this. They live the life of a, a swindler, a thief, right? In business, they steal whenever they can. But then they also want to be, you know, a Christian. Those don't go together. Now, once we're saved, do we sin? Yes, we do. We struggle with sin. But there's a difference between stumbling in sin and living a lifestyle of sin. That, that this is who I am, and then I'm also a Christian, and then this is what, right? That you leave here on Sunday and you live completely different. No, there's a wrestle that happens when we're saved, a wrestle with sin. But we aren't identified with sin. We don't have a, a pattern and lifestyle of it anymore. And so again, we see here this idea of identity. What is our Identity, And in this passage in 1 Corinthians, he says, such were some of you, you identified with those things, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. That's what happens when you're saved. You get washed, you get, you get made right with God. Doesn't mean you're perfect, right? Don't, don't hear it that way. But we change, we, we adjust. Now let's look a little bit more at, at the idea of this identity, because there's one more thing we want to see. Uh, we'll start in verse 8 and go through verse 16. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you are worse in condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed to you and deal with your servants according to what you see. What do we see here? The, the person over them, right, said, if this doesn't go well, the king will kill me. It's not culture like today, right? Which means also them, if they refuse to obey this new king, he could just kill them, just be done with it. Here, they say they had resolved in their hearts they're not going to be defiled. They're going to follow God no matter what. And so this is the last point. Number four, we remain faithful in exile through bold obedience. Bold obedience. Later in this book, we're going to see three, three of them thrown into a fiery furnace because of their bold obedience. Daniel later will be fed to lions for their bold obedience. Now, if you want to know how those stories end, you have to come back or go home and read the book of Daniel. But bold obedience could cost. Will you be boldly obedient if you get fired for it? Will you? 
kids, will you be boldly obedient at school if it also means others will, will ostracize you, even make fun of you? Are we willing to pay the price for bold obedience? We must. What might God ask us to do? We must. And so it comes down to our, our, our last big point, right? What was our first big point as we looked at? They're trying to change their identity. They're trying to conform them. Same as our culture today. How do we live faithfully? It comes down to our identity. What we just saw there, as Daniel's talking to him, what names did he use? He used their Jewish names. He, used their, he didn't use the names they gave him. In fact, as you go on, you see Daniel and those three, they kept their old names. They would not give up their identity. We remain faithful in exile by giving Jesus the last word over our identity and all aspects of our lives. Identity, who are you? How do we battle this world? We know who we are. What does Jesus say about our identity? He says, you are adopted. You are loved. You are chosen. Not because you're good, but because God chose to choose you. He, he, meaning, you're wanted, right? You are secure. Our, our, our eternity is secure. Go down the list of these things. That is who you are. And then when life comes at you, you go, no, I know who I am. I've resolved in my heart. I belong to Christ. I am a Christian. I am his. I have been bought with a price, the price of God in flesh, Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for me. I am his. And so I will not do this, that. This is who I am. Who are you? Who are you? Will you live consistently? Because guess what? When you do, God will use you for great things. I mean, the story of Daniel is amazing. He's a young man here. He goes through several transitions. Babylon would be conquered by another nation, and he would get to the top of that one also. He would stay faithful, and God would use him greatly. What about us? Will we stay faithful? Now, we are going to transition here into a, a time of communion, the Lord's Supper. And I really like that we're doing this today when the kids are here. Because this is one of the two things that, that the church is told to do. What, what, the first thing we're told to do is when you're saved, get baptized, right? When you're saved, be baptized. Uh, when the first sermon was preached, Peter and, and all the other uh, apostles and, and converts there, they preached the word and they said, oh, what should we do? They said, repent and be baptized. Then we're also told to observe the Lord's Supper as often as we do it. We're not told how often, could be every week. Some churches do it once a month. Some do it four times. We're not told how often, but we're told to do it and to do it in remembrance of Jesus. So the Lord's Supper is a very special time. It's, honestly, it's a little bit of a, a spiritually mystic time of connection with God. It doesn't save you. It doesn't add to your salvation, but we do it remembering Jesus, remembering his death and his resurrection. Let me read 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 28, and this is Paul telling the Corinthians how to observe the Lord's Supper, and they needed some correction. So kids, listen to this. It says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after the supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So you see what we're doing. When we drink the cup, remembering Jesus' blood spilt for us. 
When we eat the, the cracker, we call it bread, but the little cracker, we're remembering Jesus' body broken for us. Jesus was beaten to the point he was unrecognizable as a human, right? On a cross, you die from suffocation, right? They pull themselves up to take a breath and eventually their strength goes out. That was Jesus' body broken for us. We remember that. We don't shy over the gruesome nature of that. And as we saw in the Apostles' Creed, when Jesus died, he didn't go to hell, but he went through hell. He suffered all of the judgment we deserve. For We're remembering all of that when we take the Lord's Supper. It's a time of thanksgiving. And we're told also it's a time to look forward. So it's a time of remembering in gratefulness, thank you for what you did, and in hope, Jesus, you're coming back. And when you do, history will culminate in a new kingdom. It won't end. It's going to continue. That's why it's called eternal life. It goes on forever with him in paradise. But... Communion, the Lord's Supper, is for believers. So if you have not professed faith in Jesus as Lord, just know, I'm going to be in the back. Come talk to me, and I'd love to share how you can have a relationship with God, how you can become an, an exile, and then take the Lord's Supper. If not, if you're not ready for that, that's okay. But hang around, and we'd love to show you what life in Christ could be like. Kids, right? Parents, you might be like, should my kids or should they not? The Bible says communion is for believers. So if your child has professed faith in Jesus as Lord, that's up to you. <laughs> they can partake. One of the main measures in the history of the church for 2,000 years is has somebody been baptized? Those people take communion. But baptism is not necessary for salvation. It doesn't save you. So parents, that's up to you, right? You, you can work on that. But it's for believers but it's also for believers who are walking rightly with the Lord. Let me read a couple more verses. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. What he's talking about is, is two things specifically. One is unconfessed ongoing sin in your life, right? We already look... In, in 2 Corinthians, right, that the Christian's identity is in him and the, our pattern of life is obedience. If there's something in your life that is a pattern of sinfulness, you need to repent, you need to confess, right, and then partake with, with the right heart. You can't lose your salvation and regain it. We're not talking about that. We're talking about your heart, right? I, I am repentant and I'm turning from sin. The second one is unity. There was disunity among believers. Is there a fellow believer that you're at odds with? right? That whatever, you need to reconcile that somehow. Paul says, do not partake. In fact, go make peace with that person, then take the Lord's Supper. So we take the Lord's Supper in gratefulness and in hope in a worthy manner, not that we're perfect, not that we look in the mirror and we're like, nailed it, right? Sinless. No, but in our heart, we are repentant, we are grateful, we are thankful, and we take the Lord's Supper. Now, the way we do it here, uh, worship team, you guys can head on up. The way we do it here is we have three stations, one here, one here, and one here. It's a little bit chaotic, right? If you've never done it this way, you're like, man, there's a line of people and I'm bumping shoulders with people I don't know. We do this on purpose because worship, we think, is all of us, right? It's not watching people. We want to do this together. It's part of the community, right? We get up. Um, some, you'll notice, some, some families will take it and go in a corner and pray together. That's awesome. Some will come and sit down alone and pray over it and take it however you feel led. At this time of moving around, we have two prayer walls, right? If you have a request or a praise or something you just want to give straight to God, come write that down and stick it in the wall. Worship is participatory. 
That's a big word, right? We participate in worship. We respond how God would have us respond. And so that's what we're going to do now. Um, Let me pray, and we'll continue to worship. Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we can have faith while living as exiles. God, you've told us, I will never leave you nor forsake you, that we are part of your church, your body. We belong to you. Our identity is in you. And no matter what else is happening in life, we can rest in that. When the world is against us, we know that you accept us. When the world calls us names, we know that you say you are forgiven, you are a saint, you are mine. And God, I ask for encouragement for those here that need encouragement this morning. I ask for conviction. If if any of us here realize I have been trying to live a double life, that you would convict us and encourage us how to walk rightly with you. God, we love you. As we take uh, your supper now, as we remember, we thank you for your body broken. We thank you for your blood spilt. It is the way we can be saved, be right with you. We thank you. And we cannot wait for you to come back. Jesus, I ask, come back soon. Set up your new kingdom, right? Wipe away every tear. Take away every pain and restore. We cannot wait. But until then, we will be faithful because you are worth it and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.